0: With Green Farm. Being up to 90 isn't real. The protein in our range is. Get real.
1: Very welcome to the Thursday edition of Game On. It is January 6th with a busy programme to come between now and 7 o'clock. So last night, if you were listening to the programme, we had a Melbourne-based Irish journalist Catherine Murphy on with us talking about her personal perspective on all that was going on in Melbourne and perhaps the uh, the anger that exists within the city, which might be directed at Novak Djokovic. So at that stage, he'd been detained. Then as the evening progressed, his visa was rejected And now as we sit here, 24 hours on, he's in a hotel which falls below the standards he expects and is waiting for a court appearance on Monday in order to be able to appeal the visa decision. We're going to hear some reaction on the programme tonight and we're going to discover that, you know, as with maybe all good Irish men, behind all good Serbian men, there's a worried mother. We will hear from Novak Djokovic's mother in a couple of minutes' time. You think I'm messing, but I guarantee you I'm not. So that uh, to come shortly on the programme in advance of a busy weekend in both the AIB club hurling and football championships. We're going to be joined by the Kamalik hurler, Paddy O'Brien. Uh, they're preparing to face Bally Gunner in the Munster hurling decider. We'll check in with Colum Keys on some of the big GAA stories of the week. And with uh, the week that is in it, we're going to check in with Shep and uh, pay tribute as well to John Madden, who passed away over Christmas.
2: They show up when I told them to, and if when we talked and taught, if they paid attention, and then if they went out and played like heck, when you talk, what else is there? What other rules do you need? I mean, I don't care if they had beards or you know sideburns or bell bottom pants
1: or tied their shoes or not. So all of that to come 51552 is our text number You can tweet the programme as well At Game On 2FM Game On On 2FM And it's nice to have your company So it's Damien O'Mara with you Until 7 o'clock So If you're even remotely Interested in sport You're not going to have been able To avoid the Novak Djokovic uh, Situation To say that Pity And And empathy towards Novak Djokovic is at a low is probably an understatement so this is a story that we've been covering over the course of the week. If you're on social media no doubt you will have seen the memes of the terminal that Tom Hanks film have been recreated with Novak Djokovic's image across them so uh, last night in the programme we heard the situation in Melbourne and perhaps a sense of what it was that was fueling some of the opposition to Novak Djokovic's medical exemption in order to allow him to play at the Australian Open his visa rejected last night nice and he finds himself, uh, as to the best of our knowledge, at 5 o'clock in the morning Melbourne time, currently residing in a quarantine hotel close to Melbourne Airport, as he awaits the opportunity to appeal the rejection of his visa over the weekend, and in turn, give him the possibility, in his hope, that he can try and defend his Australian Open title and make a little bit of history with a potential 21st Grand Slam, uh, should he win over the coming weeks. So, reaction has been coming thick and fast. We're going to hear from the Serbian Prime Minister, the Australian Prime Minister we're going to hear from Rafa Nadal but as I alluded to at the top of the programme if this was this effectively is Serbia's Saipan if I can if I, am I allowed to use the word Saipan Saipan is 20 years this year. Can you imagine the rubbish we're going to have to deal with when May and June rolls around? So we're dealing with Serbia, Saipan, and at the centre of it all, Novak Djokovic's mother, Diana, who's been giving her reaction and a little bit of insight into her son's condition.
3: He was, like, good. We didn't spoke a lot, but we spoke a few minutes. And he was trying to sleep, but he couldn't. As a mother... Uh, what can I say? If you are a mother, you can just imagine how, you, how can I feel. I feel uh, terrible since yesterday, last 24 hours, that they are keeping him as a prisoner. It's just not fair, it's not human. So I just hope that he will be strong as we are trying also to, to be very strong, to give him some energy, to keep on going. I hope that he will win, terrible terrible accommodation it's just some small uh, immigration hotel as we can if, if it's hotel at all with some bugs with with uh, it's so dirty and uh, the food is so terrible so what can i say they don't they don't want to give him any chance to to move on to some better hotel or house that he already rented but we hope we'll manage some
1: So that's uh, his mother chatting overnight. Uh, If you want to, I don't want to get into the geopolitics of it all because we talked an awful lot about that last night, but there there was a report overnight that this could jeopardize what is Australia's export market to Serbia, which I think was valued in or around 3.2 million Australian dollars last night, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I'm open to correction from Australian informed economists who might be able to tell me if that's a significant part of Australia's export market. But one person who's getting involved in the debate today is... Serbian Prime Minister Anna Brabic, is obviously very unhappy at the treatment of her countryman.
3: I think that the fact is that Novak has been treated differently. You know, he got medical exemption. He was invited to the Australia by by the organisers of the Australian Open. That he boarded the plane with all of the obvious uh, uh, reasons why he thought that he could actually enter Australia And that this is going on now for quite some time, for more than several hours. You know, right now he's not allowed to leave and spend time in the house where he could actually respect the isolation rules. You know, I think that Novak is treated differently than any other tennis player that traveled to Australia right now. And that is what makes us think it's political.
1: So that's uh, the Serbian Prime Minister who doesn't want Novak Djokovic to be treated differently but yet doesn't want him to stay in the quarantine hotel at the airport where other people with visa issues and COVID-19 issues are being asked to stay. Make sense of that if you can. Uh, Scott Morrison, the much maligned and slightly under pressure Australian Prime Minister, his uh, popularity rating has plummeted. Perhaps there is a little bit of political capital to be based uh, around all this for him and he's been reflecting as well on the latest developments. Rules are rules and there are no special cases. You have to have a
4: double vaccination because that's the country's rule for entry into the country and that is assessed at the border. He provided information to the airline to allow his entry onto the plane, but people get on that plane. That is not an assurance that they'll be able to come through Australia's border at the other side wasn't a problem necessarily with the visa. There are many visas granted. If you have a visa and you're double vaccinated, well, you're very, very welcome to come. One of the things that the Border Force does, and I know this because I was the minister who established the Border Force, is they act on intelligence. Now when you get people making public statements about what they say they have and what they're going to do and what their claims are, well, they draw significant attention to themselves. Anyone who does that, whether they're a celebrity, a politician, a tennis player, a journalist, well, they can expect to be asked questions more than others before you come.
1: So that's uh, Scott Morrison chatting about the situation and obviously an awful lot of uh, players themselves are set to face the media over the coming days an awful lot of them using the Melbourne Somerset ATP 250 tournament as their warm-up for the Australian Open and amongst those who's been in action and has faced the media is Rafa Nadal. So his take on the situation that his rival finds himself in.
0: If he wanted he will be playing here in Australia without a, a problem. No, He went through a he makes his own decisions, and everybody is uh, free to take uh, their own decisions. But then there are some some consequences, no? And uh, of course, of course, I, I don't like the the situation that uh, is happening. In some way, I feel sorry for him, but at the same time, um, he know he knew the conditions since uh, a lot of months ago. So he makes his
1: own decision. So that's Rafa Nadal. So, no doubt, there have been so many developments in this story over the past 48, 72 hours, no doubt there will be a fresh development for us to return to on the programme tomorrow evening so we will uh, wait that with bated breath. So an awful lot to come between now and 7 o'clock, plenty of GAA chat to come. We're going to be joined by Shep from the States before the tail end of the programme but we are going to go straight to League of Ireland Soccer and an awful lot of clubs looking at uh, players' social media and whatever else uh, returning to training uh, today in advance of the season which rolls around very very quickly and another club who have uh, announced very ambitious plans for the future are the reigning extra.ie FAI Cup champions, St. Patrick's Athletic, and delighted to say that their Academy Director and Director of Football, Joe O'Brien, is with us. Joe, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks good. for having me on. And you, I, I'm getting slagged here that as a Bohemians fan, I have to make sure to <laughs> congratulate you on your FAI Cup success. So I've got that, yeah. that yeah. elephant out of the room straight away. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, I, I presume at this stage, is it, that 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 almost long forgotten because the uh, the season rolls around so quickly and plans need to be put in place to to move on with the season to come.
0: Maybe in maybe in Dublin seven, but not maybe not in <laughs> Dublin eight.
1: <laughs> yeah, north side of the Liffey, it never existed anyway. We'll forget yeah. about that and we'll move on. Um, you've announced a, a, quite an innovative um, plan today, which is going to see the club basically try to explore the potential to recruit Pakistani players and give them a route towards professional football you might give us a bit of an indication into what it is you've got involved in
0: basically Damien I mean, this, is, this is an incredible uh, opportunity for, for the young players in Pakistan I think it's it kind of started in the round, the, the cup final funny enough that you mentioned that um, a guy called Mike Farnham who, who basically is involved with, with a company called Red Strike and, and Mike is actually an Irish guy and I met him, had some meetings with him with, with Gary Keller, the owner, in the, in the lead up to the cup final, and and Mike has been involved. He was actually on the board of Manchester United at one stage, and he's involved with a lot of projects, and himself uh, with Red Strike and, and GSV, which is Global Soccer Ventures. Uh, basically, have been working on this for the last eighteen months in Pakistan to basically start bringing um, start bringing football to Pakistan. Uh, to be honest with you, to start promoting, it. and and obviously as you would have seen today, Mike alone is involved and stuff like that and we're we're very privileged to be, to be uh, to be involved in this this is you know this has kind of taken up a lot of time during december um such a busy time but Gareth has been incredible working with these guys because as you can imagine being on the far side of the world trying to trying to get the logistics sorted right. out has been has been huge and and obviously the press conference today was um was kind of set up and you know, you can see the amount of people on it. It was a it was a fantastic uh, introduction to what's ahead. So the
1: the plan would be that that are you effectively going to become a feeder club for the entire nation of Pakistan, or one of a sequence of of feeder clubs to try and recruit players, complement your own academy and your own say first team squad, and ultimately give players a route towards professional or semi professional football.
2: Yeah, well, I
0: think that initially the plan is is for, for Saint Pat's to go over and, and basically to evaluate the talent. We've obviously we'll have coaches on the ground early doors, and then myself, Brian, Johnny, and Jamie will we'll head over then for, for the last week, and we'll we'll take a look at the, the young players there. But you you've got to remember that you know you know Pakistan is, is such a massive country, I mean, It's the fifth biggest country in the world. We were hearing today that there's a population of two hundred and twenty million people, and, and these guys need a platform. And the likes of GSV and Red Strike now getting involved. There's so many ambitious plans for new sports stadiums um, all around Pakistan, and we've seen some of the plans which, which is coming up. And it's an incredible uh, adventure that these guys are heading on in, in Pakistan. So, so for us personally, you know, it, it's a great opportunity for us to go over. Um, you know, as Brian said today, that we have a good track record of ID and young players, and we want to be able to give these players an opportunity and a platform that if, they, if we feel that they're good enough that they have the talent that they have all you know everything behind them that we can give them that opportunity because you know football is such a global game as was mentioned today and you know there's players from all over and you can see through the influx of even our own academy that we've got young boys coming in who, who've been previously from born in Africa and stuff like that and mm. You know that part of the world over towards Pakistan probably is an untapped market, so it's a great opportunity for us to go over and see the talent that's that's there.
1: Yeah, I, I was looking um, at some of the news articles about it. That the, the figure that's been thrown around is potentially 20 players from the age of 18 to 21. So it, it is something, if successful, that you would hope will complement the players that come through your own academy. But I would imagine. Like a significant number of your your first team squad could ultimately come from this pool of players if this works out successfully.
0: Yeah, potentially. It's like anything. Listen, through everything else, no matter what, the, the players have to be good enough. And as I've said already, we just want to give those guys a platform. But I know I know Gareth's working hard, and you you've got to look at the people who's behind this thing. I and mean, you've got Imran Khan, who's the, obviously an unbelievable legend of of cricket, and he's obviously prime minister at the moment. He, he's fully behind this adventure you know Gareth and Tom O'Matney the, the club president they've been speaking to to the the Pakistan embassy over here and the foreign affairs all of this type of stuff and, and it really is an exciting project and, and for us personally we, we want to go over to Pakistan and we want to basically impress what St. Pat's is all about and what Irish football is all about and for them and, and it would have been said today the jump for those guys those young kids who they obviously the Premier League is massive around the world and and they're the clubs that are watching. But it'd be very difficult for a kid from Pakistan to jump straight into the Premier League. So we want to give them the opportunity to come and see the culture that's very similar to the, to the UK. And as I said already, Michael Owen's involved. He's, he's really excited behind it. And there's some, some other Premier League teams um, that's involved as well. And you know, obviously we've signed up for three years for this type of uh, project, what's, what's happening. And you know, as I said already, to have the type of people that's behind it. And then obviously with Brian getting involved as well, you know the, the amount of work he does here with um, with other kind of industries as well is it, just huge. So it's uh, it's something that we're all really looking forward to.
1: Very yeah, yeah, it's Brian Kerr and Johnny McDonald, the two coaches who will be involved. And I, I presume ultimately, from a like a business point of view, do these players come onto the books at St. Pat's? That if they were to progress somewhere else, that's where you will benefitly benefit ultimately from a financial point of view in terms of sell ons and shares and you know that that aspect of the business of football?
0: Yeah, well, I think I think that's probably a couple of steps down the road. I think initially now, I don't think anyone's thinking that far, and that's being honest with you. You might think I'm just backing away that question. I think because it's such an untapped market, I mean, what we're, we're initially trying to do is we want to get on the ground over there. We want to see the facilities. We want to see the players. As I said already, 220 million. How many of those want to be young, aspiring footballers? And um, through GSV and Red Strike, we're going to give them this opportunity to kind of showcase their talents and for the likes of Brian and myself, Michael Owen, Johnny, Jamie to head out there along with Carol and coaches that are already going to be out there doing the groundwork. It's it's, it's a fantastic opportunity for the young players. But initially, we just want to see what what the talent is like and, and give them that platform. That if somebody shows enough, that we can certainly bring them yeah. over. And I know Carol has been speaking with the guys about potentially bringing over a group of players later on in the year and and, and playing some friendly games and stuff like that. So it's a really exciting project and it certainly has captured the imagination and as someone has said to me today already that it's about time some type of League of Ireland club actually looked outside the, yeah. out the box and you know no better place to, to kind of go into that part of the world but
1: at the same time and and we look at, at the success that some clubs have had with Leon you know, linking up with schoolboy football and I know you've had great underage success in the League of Ireland over the last couple of years but like I would imagine clubs like Crumlin, Belvedere, Cherry Orchard, Esker Celtic, other teams that you've had a link with in the past, they are still at the forefront of your plans in terms of recruitment, that it's not a case of, you know, focusing on Pakistan at the cost of players that are there in your hinterland?
0: Not at all. No. Listen, the, the work that David Morrissey has done in the community and, and the work that the coaches do and you know, listen, it, 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 the game is always ever evolving and for us, this opportunity is too good to turn down. It gives us an opportunity to have a look at an absolutely huge market. And um, but the work will continue. The academy teams start training this week. We've got players coming in from from all over Leinster They're not just Dublin and boys coming in to, to kind of try out for the teams. And we've got coaches going out to the teams, some of the local teams, and doing sessions as well. So listen, everything keeps moving and keeps going forward. Football is ever changing. So it, listen, it's a fantastic time to be a young footballer, whether that's in Ireland or or whether that's in Pakistan. And Listen, no matter where you're from, every kid just wants an opportunity, and if we can give an opportunity for a kid from, from Crumlin United, or we can give an opportunity from a kid from Pakistan, if they're good enough,
1: it doesn't really make a difference yeah. where they're from a busy time no doubt um, with recruitment and everything else ahead of the new season and Tim getting his feet under the table as manager um, wish you and everyone well with the season ahead thanks so much for being with us no problem name. thanks for having me Sarah on O'Brien uh, Academy Director and Director of Football with St. Pats on that new partnership announced uh, earlier today 51552 is our text at GameOn2FM we'll get us on Twitter we're chatting hurling after the break
0: Green Farm, your rise and grind isn't real. Our protein is get real.
5: Game on. GAA.
1: And you're very welcome back to the programme. So, we've a, a really busy weekend in Gaelic Games. You've uh, competitions like the O'Burn Cup, the Dr. McKenna Cup, the Connacht FBD League, Dr. McKenna Cup, all uh, progressing uh, over. the Actually, Dr. McKenna Cup semi final, I think, is on tonight. Um But in the midst of it all, kind of the creme de la creme for an awful lot of people is the continuation of the AIB Club Championships. We've got uh, the Leinster Club Football Final on Saturday evening, Kilmacud Croaks against Nace. We're going to look ahead to that tomorrow. Uh, you've got the Connacht Club uh, final, Knockmore of Mayo against Paul Rick Pierces of Roscommon on Sunday lunchtime. And Sunday afternoon, you've got Kilmalik of Limerick taking on Bally Gunner of Waterford in Parky Cueve in the AIB Munster Club Senior Hurling Championship final. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined to look ahead to that game by Kilmalik's Poddy O'Brien, who's with us. Poddy, how are you?
2: Hi, Damien How are you keeping? Thanks Not so bad.
1: Me. Come here, thanks for being with us. I, I c- complete the sentence. This time tomorrow, I will be a relieved no no go on
2: complete the sentence <laughs> I'll be a married man hopefully what time is oh, the I'll wedding tomorrow uh, the wedding is at uh, quarter past one tomorrow in, in the woodlands of the deer so I'll be uh hopefully just finish my speech this time tomorrow and all going well tucking into a bit of well-deserved grub hopefully
1: I'm telling you you're a calm man that here you are on the. actually sorry you're marrying a calm woman that here you are chatting sorry. to me at 25 past 6 the night before your wedding but sure come here you, 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 it's like everything when you meet the right person you don't have to be nervous the night before
2: yeah that's it sure look all the workers on at this stage just get myself through the boat and then get there no that, that was my last order so we're, we're nearly there I
1: think, I, that. I think there's something there's something in the water though because I think Cluck Balacalla had a, a wedding involved somewhere along the way there's about three or four teams who've progressed in the club championship have had weddings uh, either affected or rescheduled or whatever else so come here most importantly we wish you well with that and uh I suppose we we better chat a little bit of hurling. A, a massive weekend ahead, and I can only imagine the the sense of anticipation around the club and around the parish must be uh, must be through the roof with what's at stake at the weekend.
2: Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Um, look, look, it's great, and I suppose given the current times and the times are in, it's a, it's a welcome distraction from talking of um, COVID and everything else. And I suppose everyone's struggling a bit, and we're not different out here, so giving a great boost to, to everyone to have a, a topic conversation have something to look forward to. especially so close after Christmas which can probably be a, a kind of a gloom time for everyone but it's, a, it's coming at a right good time for us it, you
1: know? How do you feel from a player's perspective about that because there was a bit of chat before Christmas that if you looked at the diary there was the potential you would have thought to finish these championships off but like, it doesn't affect the Christmas too much does it in terms of, of having to keep an eye on, on behaving yourself and everything else does it?
2: well it actually look it doesn't Not at this at this level you don't you just don't get these opportunities that much or that often um, so look at it it's it's um it, it, it's a huge opportunity for us, and um, you know we're, we're really looking forward to it. Look, we put the Christmas, and we put the Christmas on the back partners and everything to, to be able to concentrate on this. So we're, um, we're really looking forward
1: to it. And a lot of players within the squad would have the experience from wasn't it twenty fourteen of you know the, the side that that won in Limerick. and went on into Munster, did the double that year. So the, mm. the experience is there for a lot of players about knowing what to expect and knowing how to to manage this scenario on Sunday.
2: Yeah, there is no, to be fair. There's, like, there's not everyone. I suppose there's probably seven or eight lads that are still there from, from 2014. But if you look, our, our young lads, are, um, they take it on their stride, really. You know, it's, only, it's only another game. That's the way we look at it. So we've prepared very well, and we haven't... Um, us picked up the occasion too much because it is just another game and we're just trying to focus on turning in a good performance and if that's good enough on the day, great, and mm-hmm. if it's not, it's not,
1: that's just the way it is. And f- from your own perspective, like people will look at, at the teams that are are awaiting in the All-Ireland series, Slot Neil St Thomas's, Ballyhale, like, particularly Ballyhale, there's an expectation to be at this part of the year um rather than than a hope. Like From a Kilmallock perspective, does this exceed what it was you would have set out to achieve at the start of the year, or would this always have been the ambition to to not just progress through Munster, but to progress to the All Ireland Club Championship?
2: I know to look to, to succeed everything we thought and I'd be um, I'd be lying to if I told you different. Um, look, we we were um, we were well beaten in the county semi final last year, and to do and very well beaten on the day. And, I suppose you know we kind of needed to, to regroup and I suppose maybe recalibrate our expectations a bit as a group that we weren't um, a foregone conclusion to get to final, semi-finals uh, and win these things. Limerick the is extremely tough at the moment and to win that in, in itself is a huge achievement for us. So. Uh, with that, I suppose, a bit of momentum and I suppose we've kept injury-free and we've um, we've got a bit of luck along the way and here we are now. So we really are just taking one game at a time because we're under no illusions at the task we have ahead mm. of us on Sunday.
1: Yeah, and, and it's been so difficult for any club to break the kind of stranglehold that Napeersic and Kil- Patrick's well have had over the last couple of years. So do you address the fact that this could potentially be a once-in-a-career opportunity for some players that just go out and seize the the moment. Or in a way, is all the pressure gone because this is territory that no one really would have expected you to have been in?
2: Yeah, a bit of both, I'd say. I mean, to be fair, like I mean, we haven't like you know we we don't really talk in the terms of this is to be all and end all, um because there's no point. Like we, we know we don't want to be restricting our performance or putting extra pressure on ourselves. That we don't we don't honestly need. We could be there again next year. We might be there again for 20 years. No, who knows? This is this is this group of, uh, of players and management that are out to make their own bit of history. And um, we don't really go, go into the going to too much, only concentrating on our performance, or training, and getting everyone there in one piece, which is which is not ideal in the current circumstances. And that's kind of the way we're thinking: of you know? get everyone there, turn in a performance, and see what
1: happens. You know. You, you talked there about management. How big a role has Tony Considine played?
2: Actually, he's he's it's huge. Like you know, it's um, he's um, he's 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 just so his record speaks for itself. um, not only Limerick, but everywhere else. I mean, for he was with us in 2010 and 12 when we won counties. And you know, to leave a club and to come back and win a county, it's not it's not uh, it's not very commonplace. In fact, it's it's usually the opposite and never really works out that well. So, um, look, he's a massive. He's got a massive link with the club, a massive link with the players. He knows. He knows all our parents or kids or brothers or sisters at this stage seems <laughs> mm. like one of us You know, but uh, look we're delighted to have him and you know Rory Gantley is with him from, from Galway has been a massive addition and um, you know the players have responded and they've responded to players and there's a bit of boat boat has to work either way so you know we're delighted to have him
1: Yeah and, and just to, to finish before I let you go like obviously Ballygunner Gunner away, they've you know claimed a scalp in Bally they beat Lockmore you know they've, they've taken big teams along the way um, you know you won't be overly fixated on that but I I know you, you must be so frustrated talking about Limerick and not being a part of what's been involved in Limerick over the last couple of years but this for you like what does it mean to achieve this success or potentially achieve this success with the club and with those lads that you've progressed through from the time you picked up a hurl whatever number of years ago
2: yeah, sure. look, it, it's massive. Like, right? they're just so hard to win. And um, you know, games in Limerick, let alone Munsters or all ireland games in Limerick are just so hard to win. Um, and we barely got over the line, and plenty don't know. So, um, it does. As you get older, and as you start coming into your thirties, you start to um, start to appreciate these things a bit more. I suppose, and you start to, to you not know, really, you really want to drive on and win these kind of things. So, look. You know, at we're, we're really just taking the terms that if we can go out and turn a, turn a really good performance on Sunday, we have a great chance. Um, we're playing a, a serious, serious outfit um, team we've had a, a huge amount of respect for. But um, look, at it. we won't. we we'll, we'll give it everything and God is good after that. You
1: know? I, I never asked you what your fiancé's name was when we were chatting about the wedding at the, the start of the conversation.
2: Yeah,
1: it's Raina. Right. Raina. Well, I, I, yeah. I don't know should I be wishing you well for the final or wishing you well for tomorrow but I, I wish yourself and Reina the, the very best and many years of happiness and Sunday will look after itself once you've navigated tomorrow um, Poddy, thanks so much for being with us take care of yourself Thanks David, thanks for having Potty, me Poddy O'Brien with us there from Kilmalick in advance uh, of that game at the weekend we're going to stick with uh, J.A. and Column Keys from the Irish Independent as well Colm, how are you? Hi Damien, how are you? You never filed copy from a wedding reception, I would imagine, or you know, you, your your weddings weren't affected by GAA fixtures over the years. I hope. No, no, I
6: always waited for uh, out of season for my own anyway, Damien. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, a long, long time ago now. But I think it was the second wedding. Am I right in saying this week for, or certainly over the Christmas period for uh, for Kilmallock, So it certainly had. Maybe take their eye a little bit off uh, Sunday and relax a bit in, in that regard.
1: Yeah, there'll be managers all over the country now getting lads to schedule weddings for the midst of the club championship because it's obviously seen as some um, benefit somewhere along the way. So many have been affected. Anyway, we'll we'll leave the nuptials to one side and we'll chat about the more on-field matters. Um, it's it's been a it's been a it's kind of a strange week because normally these early season competitions, I won't say we dismiss them, but we get so used to seeing the next generation of talent. But there's a real sense. Looking at you know the Connacht J A Dome during the week, and uh, that game between Sligo and Leitrim, that we've hit the ground running much quicker in 2022 than perhaps we have in previous years.
6: Yeah, and these preseason competitions only only got the kiss of life late late last year because originally they were scheduled to be uh, discontinued uh, due to the load of games, I suppose, that follow up in league and championship. But they for this year anyway, they've been they've been restored. And I suppose there's an element of novelty about what's going on with the, the Connacht League because of the Dome and Connacht's desire to showcase what is really a magnificent facility, all told. And you just look at the scoreline from the sligo Leitrim game, 121-117, to 117, you think, you know, this is indoor at a time of year when the weather is so inclement. And I think counties will appreciate playing there. Um, you know, it's, it's kind on injuries, kind on the body. So uh, I'd imagine tomorrow night's game, go and Mayo, it's a big season for both counties, but they'd appreciate the novelty and uh, the enjoyment that goes with per- perhaps playing playing in those conditions for the first time.
1: Yeah, and, and it's interesting because I, I remember, and, and you know I, I'm sure you covered it more extensively than I would have done, but th- there was definitely eyebrows raised and maybe little sniggers had when the plan for this was announced a couple of years ago. But now that it's here and it's been built their reaction to it seems to be phenomenal sure. and this this may well be the way of the future and I'm even thinking the parallel with you know nobody questions the Irish rugby team training in an indoor facility and Sports Campus Ireland when they're planning for Six Nations that basically you, you build a facility that you hope in the long run will benefit your teams across the board at a time of the year when you know you don't want to be out on pitches the, the like of which we've seen matches played on in recent years
6: think well, Damien, I mean, I'm probably old enough to remember the Ferrari over Knock Airport being uh, been built way back in the '80s, and Monsignor James Horn, uh was the driving force behind that. And John Prenti is the driving force behind the Connacht Air Dome. You know, the, the the Knock Airport has really served the people of the West well. I think this facility will really just because it's not hanging by the M50 doesn't mean that it's appropriate for for a rural area like just outside. Uh, just outside Claremorris, as it is outside Ballyharnus and Beacon, it's a fantastic facility. Used, you know, the, the weather out west can be particularly unkind this time of year, and to have those games and college games and the facility there for teams to go and train and play challenges, everything like that. I think it's something in time, and obviously the GA uh, there's a hold on on infrastructure projects right now, obviously due to finance. But in time, I think we may see one of these in in every province. Yeah. Such is the success, success, and will be the success. I think it was built at a cost of around three million. The state might have put in around two point one million, but really to have it up and running and have these games in it at this time of year. Very positive.
1: And, yeah, and, and in the the grand scheme of things, that the, they're not exorbitant figures for a facility of its kind and the benefit that will be garnered from it. Um, obviously, one man who uh, had experience of it earlier in the week is, is Andy Moore, and we look at Henry Shefflin this weekend. That we, we're into this couple of weeks where we're going to get this first little peak in, you know, big names from the past as they try to transition from on-field matters to off-field matters. And I would imagine there's going to be so much focus on on Henry in particular in the coming days.
6: I think so, and the game is in Ballinasloe which is a capacity of around five or 6,000. I'm not sure what, what it is, but I expect at 50% of that, you'll have two and a half, two thousand, two and a half, three thousand 3,000 people in Duggan Park on, on Sunday for this. Maybe Leinster miss, missed the trick by not uh, having Galway and Kilkenny in the same group. Uh, it's awfully, and of course, Henry will be up against his old his old Ballyhale and uh, Kilkenny teammate Michael Fenny. but obviously the focus will be on him because... He is the most decorated player in the game of hurling, and he's already had that bridgehead to two All Ireland club successes with Bally Hale. A lot of anticipation around Galway for this. He's put together a good backroom team, of course. He has two local coaches, Damien Joyce and Kevin Lally, along with Richie O'Neill. From what I gather, there's over 50 players in training with them at the moment. Uh, Galway have had a lot of minor success in hurling, five out of the last seven, but they haven't translated that to under twenty, which is probably a bit of a concern in, in in one respect. But there should be there should be a lot of potential in Galway if Henry is willing to be brave and bold, which I expect he will, and try and introduce some new faces, which we will see over the next few weeks, I'd imagine, in the Welsh Cup and even into into the league. But for now I think he'd be glad to get his first game behind him and all the attention that that'll bring with it.
1: And you know, he, he's he's no fool. He's an eminently in, intelligent man in terms of, of of you know hurling his hurling knowledge and his life knowledge along the way. And he will know that the expectation level in Galway is always sky high, irrespective of where the squad is at, or irrespective of where the team is at. But he'll have had a good understanding of that he in a Well, of course, and I'd imagine
6: job. Henry, being the type of person he is, when he commits to something like this, he'll have weighed everything up. The journey from from his home in South Kilkenny and his work commitments and everything, you see how can this fit into my life? And obviously, when he weighed all that, he was able to see to see a pathway and and a green light that will involve a lot of commitment. It will involve a lot of commitment for him and time spent in Galway. I'd imagine he's overnighting there quite a bit. Quite a bit. But you know, the shortened season, the All Ireland finals uh, will be wrapped up uh, by the middle of July for for hurling. Mm. Uh, this year, all going to schedule and all going to plan, the season just has got tighter, and that probably makes uh, an adventure like this a little bit more practical than maybe it would be for a season that extended on into September, perhaps as a, as it has done before, so i 'm sure he 's weighed up and you know said Look, eight, eight months of uh, eight months of the year seems okay for me for this for a team that is for a county. That is uh, is still rich with potential.
1: Mm. But you, you mentioned there, you know, as planned or as intended. Um, what is it? I think we've 23,817 new cases of COVID-19 today. We've already got one game across the weekend is off. We've seen the impact in professional setups like Leinster Rugby that COVID-19 has had in recent weeks. And there is an inevitability that we're going to have disruption in the coming weeks and months.
6: I would imagine so. Uh, it stands to reason that GA is not is not Im- is not immune from what's going on in in everyday life. And uh, you see a 50% positive, positivity for tests every every day, and you see the numbers. But having said that, counties are probably carrying very very big squads. I'm sure they are able to set aside. And be careful with with COVID, uh, COVID, and members of the squad who may be close contacts and all of that. So, the bigger the squads they have, the more able at the moment that they will be able to deal with this. Having said that, uh, I think there probably will be disruption in the league at some stage. That's if it goes ahead. At the moment, there's no vision to say. There's nothing in sight to say that uh, it's going to be pushed back in in any way. Uh, but I would imagine that'll be come under close consideration given given the numbers and. Uh, teams would be less likely to give up uh, league matches uh, or, or, or play league matches should I say without without their key players it gets a bit more serious uh, towards the end of the month so it's it's obviously a watching brief that, yeah. but I can't imagine that it won't be affected in some
1: way Just before I let you go um, like we will undoubtedly revisit the structure of the football championship during the year and there will be conversations on programmes like this and others and in newspapers like your own and others lamenting the fact that we didn't have change um, and again we're going to face over the coming weeks further discussion about championship tweaks and championship restructures
6: Yeah, there's a Central Council meeting uh, in about two weeks' time, uh, just over two weeks' time from now, that will decide which of the two motions. There are two motions. Obviously, there was a special Congress last October, and now there are two motions. One is an enhanced proposal on what was turned down by a 50%. It got a 50% slight majority, obviously not the 60%, which would convert the league to the summer and uh, reverse the provincial championships to spring There's an enhanced version of that going up against a league provincial championship and then round-robin split between the top 16 and the bottom 16. It still offers a link from the provincial championships into the All-Ireland playoffs. Uh, It does it on a more expansive basis and also incorporates the league. So it's worth studying. There are two proposals out there, and Central Council will decide which one goes forward to Congress. I think there will be change. We will be definitely looking at a new structure for 2023, Uh, which one it remains to be seen, which one, uh, obviously some, some will have other preference to others, but I would say for sure, Damien, this is the last of structure that as we know it I think it will change in 2023 uh, at this year's Congress
1: yeah I think a lot of people will welcome that Colm look forward to keeping a track of it all and meeting you on the road no doubt between now and the 24th of July when the All Ireland season uh, wraps up thanks so much for being with us as always Colm Keyes from the Irish Independent Uh, 51552 uh, is the number for your texts Uh, one in a Novak Djokovic he'll come out he'll play he'll win uh, it's exactly the stuff that fuels Novak and makes him relentless. You heard it here first. That's from MK. So we will wait and see how that plays out. So your thoughts on Novak Djokovic or anything else that's on your mind of a sporting persuasion, if you will. 51552 at GameOn2FM. And we will be going stateside and chatting to Shep in 90 seconds. <laughs> Game on on UFM.
0: With Green Farm. Wise and brains and the hustle mindset aren't real. The protein in our chicken is. Get real. Two. <laughs>
6: Get the man open, Game on. I in America.
1: Nice. welcome back to the program. Straight to the States we go. Chef, how are you? I'm doing great, Damo. How are you, buddy? There is an unbelievable delay on the line, so I don't know, do we want to... I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll persist with it, and if it gets really, really bad, we'll get you to break it down and reconnect, if that's OK with you.
5: Ten four. 4 OK. OK.
1: Um, now, come here, a considerable expense. I need to start with this. We have a special guest who wants to send a special message to you. Yeah. Seriously, when Ronan, who produces the program, told me you were 60 or 65 today, I really didn't believe him. So happy birthday.
5: <laughs> Thanks for the birthday wishes. You're about two decades off, though. Okay. Um, 80. Yes, you heard I've it here first, folks. He's 80 tonight. My- 80. Well done, Chef. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've officially entered my mid 40s. I, I turned 44 today.
1: Okay but yeah I'm I'm catching up on you ever so slightly anyway come here we'll leave it I, I, I wish you the best of birthdays and um, at least it's an easy one to remember the 6th of January is a date that will stick out in the minds of many Americans so forever we will forget about attacks in the capital and we will remember it as the day that Jeff Shepard was brought into the world
5: that's how actually most people usually still remember it i mean i've got a lot of notes today
1: okay good stuff well anyway we uh, we hope you've got a good day ahead after you chat to us right let's get focused on sporting matters um the man of the moment the man of the last couple of days has been antonio brown and actually while we were on air uh confirmation that his contract has been terminated by the tampa bay buccaneers and this is a man who has made quite colorful headlines over the last couple of days
5: Sure, he has, yeah. All right, so just a real quick recap for folks that may not have seen it or, or thought that was a couple of weeks ago. No, it was just this past Sunday. The Bucks were playing, the New York Jets. They were losing, and Antonio Brown all of a sudden takes He – they're in the Meadowlands in New Jersey, and he takes his jersey off and his gloves off, and he throws – his. he th- takes his helmet off, and he throws his gloves into the crowd, and he runs off the field shirtless while the – Teams are playing, in the you know on the field, and it comes out after the game that you know Bruce Arians, the head coach of the Bucs, says you know Antonio Brown's no longer a member of the Buccaneers. Well, Brown put out a statement last night that says his ankle is injured, and they were asking him to play, you know, in an unsafe manner which, you know, I would assume, Damien. you read that and you go, okay, well, that's certainly a new interesting twist to this story. Uh, but the Bucks have now come out today and said they have terminated his contract. Uh, yes, he was, you know, injured last week. He was on the injury report. But at no time during the game did he go to any of the medical staff and say that he was too hurt to play. And Coach Arians went over to him and asked him to go into the game, and Brown refused, and Arians basically kicked him off the sidelines. So, you know, we get to this part where it's kind of a he said, he said type situation. Uh, with his contract being terminated, this will be his. I, I would. I, I don't want to say it's his last last because there are teams that are desperate. I. I wasn't really sure he'd ever get to play again after what happened in New England. But um, I, I don't. I just don't see a team being desperate enough to try to invite in the headaches that are going to come along with signing Antonio Brown moving forward.
1: And, but the, the thing that has bemused me ever so slightly, particularly today, watching some of the footage back now, I, I can be accused of being many things or I can be called many things, but a medical professional is not one of them. But looking at the video of sure. him, stripped, topless, dancing across the end zone, he didn't look to me like a guy who had a delicate ankle or had an injury that he was carrying because he was fairly busting out some moves as he made his way off the pitch.
5: Well, that's an astute observation there, Mr. O'Meara. And Thank I you believe, very much. Yeah, well, and, and Brown tried to, I think, address that in his statement. He was, he tried to say there's a difference between having to go run a pass route and, you know, use your lower legs and your ankles, you know, to get speed and, and you know, power through. Versus having adrenaline course through your veins and you run off the field, you know, to say goodbye. So he even actually tried to address that point. And again, I'm not a medical uh, specialist as well. Uh, But I do think it's interesting that someone on his team or in his universe was savvy enough to have that added into his statement.
1: Yeah, which obviously sows the seeds of... Uh, doubt and, and what will not doubt be a fairly contentious um, fallout one would imagine in the coming days. Um, just a, a yeah. word again we, we live in uncertain times and we've been talking about that for quite some time now at this stage. Um, some suggestion today that the NFL one would imagine with their bank balance or their revenue stream at mind might look to move the Super Bowl due to COVID-19 restrictions in certain parts of the states.
5: Yeah. So, look, this is you know a, a theme of some of the discussions we've had on the show over the last two years. You know how there's not in America, there's not just this, you know, blanket policy that, you know, applies everywhere. You know, the, the states are able to, you know, kind of do things locally. Um, and California is a state that, you know, is going to always, you know, Be more cautious, and um, some might even call it controlling about what they let you do and and don't do. And uh, there are other states like Texas and Tennessee and Florida where, you know, folks get to have a little bit more say-so in their life. We're going to leave it at that on that, you know, discussion of the states. But one of the places that we've seen this kind of have its impact is attendance at sporting events. If you're having things in New York and California, you know, there's some places you're not going to have anybody in the stands. And then you're going to go to the South, and you're going to have – wide open stadiums and life carrying on kind of like it it, it did in pre-pandemic times. Um, And so now they're talking about potentially moving the Super Bowl, if it comes to it, if California is still in a major lockdown situation or Omicron has not kind of peaked in the United States, which they're expecting it to do in the next week or so, uh, that moving it to Texas, um, you know, where, again, stadiums are open. People can kind of come and go and do as they please. And so that is going to be something that we're definitely going to keep an eye on because, you know, The plan was to show off this new stadium that the Rams and the Chargers play in, in SoFi Stadium, the new crown jewel of the NFL. Um, And, you know, to lose... to to get awarded a Super Bowl is a big thing that it takes seven or eight years in advance planning and everything to have happen and then to lose it a month before the game is supposed to be held would be devastating
1: but I I presume the NFL have the ability to basically say it's our party and we'll take it wherever it is we want it to take place if you know you would imagine there's contingencies written into all these things
5: yeah, I mean, look, that doesn't mean that I would not expect, you know, the owners of the Rams and the city of Los Angeles and maybe even the state of California to try to sue. I mean, you know, it's it's America, after all. You know, you can sue for anything. Um, but that doesn't mean that the NFL, I mean, they're not going to sacrifice not having fans in the stadium and not being able to do maybe a full halftime show for the, you know, for for this. I mean, hmm. they're just not going to do it because California is under restrictions. And then... On the other hand, how can California say, well, everybody else has to stay locked down and can't do this and schools have to stay closed, but we're going to have this football game here and we're going to allow all these people to go. So, you know, it's a it's a double edged sword there. And so, yeah, I think the NFL is going to want to move it uh, wherever they can get the most exposure and offer the most to the fans
1: yeah and I I think the next one which hasn't been allocated is 2026 so you know if you lose it this year you're going to have to wait some time to to get it back again Um, I just want to it's important to mark like there's an awful lot of people here are completely obsessed with the NFL and their weekends are built around Mm -hmm. staying up late to watch those matches for a lot of other people we kind of dip into it here and there and it's part of popular culture but one man whose name will resonate with people of all interests is John Madden and a, a very very sad loss over the the Christmas period to a man who has left such a legacy in American football
5: Yeah and you know Damien it's really been amazing to watch kind of the tributes come in from people you know very rarely do you hear like 20 and 25 year olds talk glowingly and lovingly about someone in their 80s you know it's, it's just that's not how the culture interacts with each other anymore and there's not I, – I mean, you can't find a negative word about John Madden anywhere. Like, I don't understand – like, was the guy just giving out puppies to everybody, like, everywhere he met? I mean, it, it really is stunning. He was a coach in the NFL for 10 seasons, and he retired at the age of 42, and he says, I'm done. He'd won a, he'd won a Super Bowl, and he was with the Raiders for 10 years. And then he eventually made it into the Hall of Fame on his coaching credentials. Now, it took a little while, but he eventually got in there. But more people know him as a broadcaster, and even more people worldwide know him as the, you know, not the inventor of the game, but the the sponsor of potentially the greatest, you know, sports game, video game that's ever been there, Madden Football. It it incorporated lingo and plays and, you know, eventually the players. And, you know, it was such an honor to be on the cover of the Madden Football game. And then it was a curse to be on the Madden Football game because a lot of those guys (laughs) got injured. But just he touched people in the game of football from the 60s to the 70s. I mean, he, he was at six decades worth of work in people's lives related to football just a stunning legacy
1: Before we finish uh, all eyes last night on the NBA and a a very significant debut for the Nets and a a man who home fans aren't going to see too often in the coming weeks and months if he (laughs) has his way
5: Well, it's just interesting, you know, all we've done, you know, it's just so tiring continuing to have to talk about COVID and we do have to talk about it, but you know, all of the things that, you know, we lose because of COVID and, and, and Kyrie Irving has lost, you know, half of his season because he plays in Brooklyn. And again, New York is another one of those places that, you know, is, is going to, is very, you know, on lockdown still, he's not allowed to play home games because he's not vaccinated. He is openly unvaccinated. Well, They are on the road. And because Omicron has decimated NBA lineups across uh, the country, uh, the Nets said, you know what, we're bringing him in. He's going to play tonight against the Indianapolis, uh, against the Pacers in Indiana. And uh, he scored 22 points and they won the game. And he said he was a little jittery being out there for the first time. But moving forward, it sounds like he's going to be on the roster for Away game. So that's just interesting to see him back in the mix.
1: And in, in 30 seconds, I presume there's like, is there a financial consequence for all this? Like, is it a situation where the franchise oh. can say you're available for half the games? Do we pay you half the money? Or how does all that that's work exactly out? Do right. we know? Yeah.
5: Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah, he is not. You know, you get, you know, there is guaranteed money, but then there's you get paid to play and you get paid in the games that you get, you know, that you play in. And he's not been playing. And so, no, he's not been making the full breadth of his contract. Damien, I want to say that decisions cost him, you know, upwards of 15 million dollars this year
1: all over a refusal to get a couple of injections but that's it that's his personal choice as it is of Novak Djokovic and as it is of so many other people no doubt listening in up and down the country and further afield um, I hope you have a lovely day planned for your birthday do you have anything in store or, or I, I'm a little I've kind of got to the stage now where were it not for the kids I kind of forget that it's my birthday I don't know if you're the same
5: well, my birthday is also the official start of you know carnival and Mardi Gras season, so there's no escaping it in my house, and so uh, we've already had king cake, which is the uh, you know traditional New Orleans food for the start of uh, for Mardi Gras season. So we've already had that. Um, and uh, I don't know maybe we'll, you know, maybe somebody will think hey what does dad want for dinner tonight maybe they'll make me a sandwich because that's really all I want Damien that's all I want That's it. a sandwich
1: we're, we're, simple, we're simple beings food and beverages and that'll keep us going um, from, from all of us here who work on the program and all the people that listen in and you have a lot of friends in this part of the world we wish you a very happy birthday and look forward to chatting, you, chatting to you over the course of 2022 Shep look after yourself
5: Thank you, Damien. That's one of the many blessings that I count myself l- fortunate and lucky enough to be involved in this program. So thank yeah. you, buddy.
1: Beat's doing real work. Look after yourself. Shep joining us uh, from the States. Much more from him over the course of the year ahead. We've come to the end of the program. Tara is on the way. A word of thanks to Charlotte Holland, our broadcast coordinator tonight. Ronan Lawler produced the program from Damien O'Mara. Until tomorrow night at 6. Good night. Game on
6: on
0: UFM with Green Farm. Flats of the mass isn't real. Our protein is get real.